Hello again, everyone. Tom Oglesby in the FM 98.3 KCRD Studios with Janet Wagner and Colleen Pasnack. This is The Chatter, and we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercessions, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother, to thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. All right. Well, who's got some headlines here? What a week in news. Well, I've got some headlines. It's, you know, every week seems like it's a, I, I wonder if we're going to have headlines, and then all of a sudden it's, I don't need any help. <laughs> so... One of the first ones that I have is, We Will Fight This Battle. That headline has to do with um, LifeSite News with John Henry Weston's interview with Sister Dee Dee Byrne. Wow, that was a good one. That was a real good one. Mm-hmm. Also, um, what really got my attention, and because she was canceled, um, also another person canceled, which is a headline, was Michael Voris and Church Militant, their prayer rally and conference um, out in Baltimore in November was canceled. And oh, just... Just to put that in perspective here, it's just uh, an assassination of the First Amendment, free speech, freedom of association and assembly, and freedom of religion. But who's counting? Right, right. Right, not to mention the legal issue of canceling a contract. Yeah. Right. And then um, another headline that I ran into is there's still fallout from what's happening with Francis's moto proprio on the custodes, or the traditiones custodes, and... um, um, a lot of people are still talking about Vigano's letter. We we did briefly talk about that last last episode. Um, but behind the scenes, they're saying that Francis's motu proprio was actually more harsh um, than what we received because the understanding is is that we received the third writing. And so um, rumor has it in in the Vatican and, and in Rome with some different reporters that um, there's more fallout yet to come. Um, so we will be waiting to see what happens there. What document are you talking about? The, well, I butchered it in my pronunciation. It sounds it like latest. something on the uh, taco menu. <laughs> it does. It does. I'll have a traditiones. Custodes. Custodes. With, um, with, with sour cream. With, with sour a cream. moto proprio. <laughs> yeah. But that is what it is. That's the that's the document. And then my last headline, which really kind of angered me. You didn't answer a question. Oh, She's so what saying is the document the, about? The assassination what? of the Tridentine rite. Yeah. So that the elimination is- and the suppression of the Latin Mass. Okay, Latin Mass. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then um, my last headline was um, a Luther table in the Vatican at St. Peter's in St. Joseph's Chapel. Well, it what? goes along with his postage stamp, doesn't what? it? Does yeah. It? Yeah. What? So... I mean, seriously, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm <laughs> Come on, you're making that one up. <laughs> Everybody can see this online. I mean, I am no professional genius at looking at the news or reading it or watching it, whatever. But um, it's just those headlines that kind of strike me. Okay, so what do you mean by a Luther table? Well, a Luther table, my understanding is is that it's a it's wooden not, table. It's not a Queen Anne table, let's put it that way. <laughs> it's not a picnic table. <laughs> or as Grandma Leona, uh, Grandma Leona had the drum table in the corner here. No, this is something gifted from uh, Martin. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure about that, but what it is. Stolen from Martin? Yeah. Um, ecumenically, probably cooperated with. Hmm. But anyway... A Luther table was um, Luther, Martin Luther, um, was significant with the upside-down cross. 
And so this is on the table at the Vatican in St. Peter's in St. Joseph's Chapel. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. You're saying that in the Vatican, there is a table from Martin Luther with an upside down crucifix on it. Well, it's not from Martin Luther. You know, he's been dead a while. Okay. But somebody put it there. Somebody allowed it to be put there. An upside down crucifix. Come on, you are pulling my leg. No, you got to check it out. Where do I check that out? Um, I'm checking. Just Google it. You know, YouTube it. You know, whatever. Dr. Taylor Marshall, That go to his website. He, he's the one that did a nice job of explaining what was going on. I thought we were friends with the Lutherans. Was this like a nice peace gift? Aren't we friends with them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't put an upside down cross crucifix in here. That sounds uh, mostly, uh, isn't that the satanic symbol of everything upside oh, thinking, down and backwards and all of that? Well, it, I mean, I'm Catholic. It'd be like me saying, okay, you're going to come into my house and do everything against what I believe in. I don't think so. I have control and authority over my house, young lady. Yeah, but we have, <laughs> but we have a stamp with Martin Luther on it. Mm-hmm. Aren't we friends with them? Oh, sure we are. Yeah. Well, of yeah. course we are. In charity, we're friends with them here. You bet. You got more headlines? No, Because I, I got headlines. That's it for me. I think my headlines trump your headlines. Go for it. Go for it here. Me or Colleen? Well... Colleen's, she's sitting back here and going, no, I'm going to go last because last liar wins. Out of South America, the Pacamama prayer outrages Argentine Catholics. What the heck is a Pacamama prayer? Well, you know, the the mother of the earth, Pacamama. We talked a while ago about the monstrance of Pacamama. The idol that is in St. Peter's Square, or St. Peter's Cathedral. You remember that. Basilica. Is this the, the idol that they threw, took out, stole out of the church and threw it in the river? In yes. the Tiber. Yeah. In the Tiber. And yes. he, and, Are and, they Lutherans? And she was, <laughs> goodness gracious. <laughs> anyway, faithful Argentine Catholics are outraged, as they should be, with the prayer to Pacamama, who is the fertility goddess of the earth, or something thereof. I think you guys are pulling my legs on your headlines. Read them and weep. Yeah. I'm not finished. No. Breaking news from France. Another Catholic priest is murdered in, says the country's interior ministry. It's it's like the daily, this will be the count here. So we're burning churches in France and killing priests. It sounds like the French Revolution all over again. And that's the birthplace of Catholicism. Back to the uh, theologians of traditionis custodies, not to be confused with anything on the menu down at Rudy's. Can I get salsa with that? Yes, you can. <laughs> true unity, true unity requires liturgical reform all around. All around what? Well, the implication. <laughs> just pull the string, and she asks a question. <laughs> just pull the string, and she. I think the uh, the inference here is. Not only does the reform of the traditional Tridentine rite need reform, but the Novus Ordo needs reform. Look for that. We predict, and Marshall will pick up on this, I'm sure. But I think there's a growing movement to add uh, reverence, unity, um, get rid of the sacrilege, the uh, singing pastors and the... The, the the comedy club homilies. How about I, if they'd actually read the Vatican II documents that were intended for... I think you're going to see that. You're going to see yeah, that. I think that'll be fruit from what all As this fallout of, is. Matter of fact, I think the bellowing ox before year-end is going to have uh, something to bellow about with respect to the reverend... You know, 
The Novus Ordo Mass is a beautiful rite if it was done by prescription. Oh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean? By, I'm, do you I'm have a question, Colleen? Today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to question everything you guys say today. I got more. I got more. Out of uh, this is local here. Out of the Telegraph Herald, a uh, Adrian Jones writes uh, early in August. We don't know when this will air here, but early in August, Adrian Jones is uh, her her headline is vilification of critical race theory spreads fear and hate in your local newspaper here. So she's certainly advocating uh, critical race theory, but it's hitting home here, the Dubuque Community School District, and I hear rumor, unsubstantiated, but we are fact-checking, Holy Family School System contemplating critical race theory for your children. So if it's both school systems, where does one hide? Well, okay, so I hear CRT, critical race theory. What is that? Well, we should do a show solely on that because that, that's uh, the deal here. But what essentially is is a remaking of, uh, of history. It's uh, instead of the, the uh, commonly held 1776 theory, it's the, is it what, 1619? Something like that. Something like that, uh, critical race theory. We're going to have to go dig, dig deeper on we that. Are we have can't to go d- on a headline on yeah, that. We're going to have to dig deeper on that. And you know what my question is just on the surface? Why aren't we teaching Catholic history? Why aren't we teaching a Catholic view of history? How about starting and having a whole unit on the French Revolution? Well, well, sure, the French Revolution, but even even the Catholic history in this country. Yeah. What about um, who's Juniper Serra? What about mm-hmm. everything well, that he, he got, did? Well, he got assassinated uh, in the last two years anyway. He did. But but I'm thinking in a Catholic school, why don't we have a history of this country according through a Catholic lens? Yeah, I think that'd be a great curriculum idea. Catholics, Catholic History Month. Okay. There we go. I'm sure someone has a curriculum out there for that. More headlines. We're moving on. This, this is not going to go away because I'm not going to let it go away. China, out of China... The United Nations human rights experts are alarmed by organ harvesting allegations. This is way too late, and we're alarmed. Here's what's going on, guys. There is forced harvest, harvest, uh, organ organ harvesting, harvesting, Mm -hmm. forced organ harvesting going on on live patients, political prisoners, the Muslim Uyghurs, other Catholics and Christians. What does that mean? That means while you are alive, they are extracting your heart, your liver, all of your your organs. It is happening. To say that the United Nations is alarmed by the allegations is too little too late. One, alarmed is not the response. These are not allegations. These have been coming out for months. And this is the regime that the Vatican has sold out Chinese Catholics since our beloved McCarrick negotiated. It'd be, and this is what Cardinal Zen has been so distraught and concerned about and ignored. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember when I worked at Dubuque County Right to Life, and so some of our listeners, if they would get the Right to Life newsletter, we covered that. That has been going on for decades. Decades. People just wake up and they've they've got a kidney removed. They wake up on the side of the street. They just dump the bodies when they're done taking the organ. It's it's sounds uh, unbelievable. Well, you can do that because you got two kidneys, but you only got one liver and you can't live without it. Yeah, but probably some CCP party guy needed it. 
well, the the uh, the the rate chart is is uh, published on the uh, black internet. This this is this is horrific coming to a clinic near you. Well, and how really is that any different than um, taking organs from unborn babies? to use them in the development of these so-called vaccines. You know, some of the names of the uh, fetal cells that they've used, H-E-K, and a number following it, H-E-K, human embryonic kidney. Now think about this. It's a baby that's developed big enough that they can identify the kidney and take cells. Furthermore, you know how organ donation works. They only want your, um, to be brain dead, no brain waves, right? Because you're your heart still has to be pumping blood to your organs to keep them fresh. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you die and your heart stops beating, your organs start to deteriorate. I think it's in like within five minutes. I know it's quick. It's quick. So that's why when they started with the organ donation thing, they changed the definition of death. Death used to be when your heart stopped. Mm-hmm. Not any longer. Um, your heart can still beat and you can be declared uh, brain dead so that they can harvest your organs. This really is nothing new. Um it's horrible. It's well, so they're not horrible. only doing this with uh, political prisoners in China, but it's coming to America's shores because now there's legislation that's pending to do uh, organ harvesting on children 42 weeks old. Pregnancy's 40 weeks. They want to be able to... The, David Daleiden, with his Freedom of Information Act that exposed Planned Parenthood, this man's a martyr. He's, he's been exec- uh, shunned up arrested, whatever he's been shut up on doing here. This is happening in America. This is the most uh, horrific of uh, circumstances in what we think is a, a Christian free democracy, the, the uh, Republic of America here. And they do it all under the guise that it's, you know, for vaccines or, you know, that it's going to help humanity. And, and the thing is, is I have lost so much trust in the medical field um, for these reasons. Everything that you're talking about here and then also the other component to this, which I'm discovering and learning more about, is the whole component of transhumanism. Sure. And basically, they want, um, you know, the, they want to have you continue so you can have longevity and youth in your life. But basically, technology would replace a lot of who you are. So technically, like anything, but they don't come out and say this, is they would basically murder the human being so that they can automate them. Well, and we've already seen humans being replaced by robots in factory work. We've already right. seen that. Labor shortage. Right. Hey, they got it right down here at the uh, checkout. At the, all the supermarkets in town have self-service. What I do you heard, think that is? Walmart doesn't have any more live cashiers. Everything is self-checkout, I've heard, at the Walmart. Is that correct? Or I, I, I'm not sure. I know that they have quite a few of them, but I don't know about happy all. Happy to say I haven't been there. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, but yeah, so you, we just don't know where it's going. It's called the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, the first industrial revolution being the use of coal. Um, and the second was the use of electricity, I believe. The third industrial revolution was the use of computers, computerizing. And now the fourth industrial revolution is going to be uh, like a hybrid of The integration humans. of the computers into the human genome. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's... That's here. That's the other thing that's scary. It's here. And part of that has already surfaced because our education system with technology has hijacked um, minds, young minds, from thinking, doing critical thinking, you know, reading, writing. They don't teach cursive um, reading and writing like they used to. Kids start out with an iPad at the youngest of ages, and everything, they're being formed, they're being manipulated. Um, 
and I think there's something scary about that. Well, we've gone deep on this headline here. We've got about two minutes left before the break, and I've got a couple of uh, more headlines. You keep going. The University of Wisconsin, this is hitting right home, removes a boulder from the campus after students say the rock is a symbol of racism, citing a 1925 article that said the, uh, the, the president of the uh, university allegedly made some racist remark. He called the rock a de- derogatory name for black people, perhaps in 1925, and this poor large boulder is now the recipient of the wrath of the, the woke culture of 2021. On a lighter note here, though, um, there's a golfer, a professional golfer named Si Woo Kim, who took a 13 on a par 3. <laughs> now, this is significant only, only because he broke my record of a 12 on a 13, a uh, par 3. <laughs> Well, I'd sound like a a guy I'd like to golf with. Yeah. (laughs) Now, (laughs) and we got to wrap up here. I've got one more from uh, Michelle Macon, who, if if you've had a chance to follow her, she does some great stuff in here. But in an article uh, dated uh, recently here, the headline is COVID-19 Catholics and Illegal Alien Charities. And uh, you got to dig deep in here, but Michelle outlines from the Federal Corporation for the National and Community Services in 2016, for example, Catholic Charities Agency scooped up $14 million. That year, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services provided the largest infusion of tax dollars provided by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, other agencies to house illegal aliens and you heard it here first on the chatter with colleen pasnick janet wagner i'm tom oglesby we'll be right back after this hi again everybody tom oglesby back in the studios i've got janet wagner and colleen pasnick and we sure hope you didn't slit your wrist on that first episode here because <laughs> the headlines were were bleak here but uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel here, isn't there? I mean, uh, I think there's an absence of uh, ethics and morality inside of the culture and politics because the church has abdicated her role, that shining light on the hill. Uh, and Colleen, we got to go. We got to go deeper on this. What's what's your sense of um, that abdication and and uh, just an absence of of moral guidance? Yeah, and I think that is the thing that ties everything together that we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, ethics, and and I know maybe some of our listeners have had classes in ethics, um, but maybe some haven't. And but there are ethics can be distilled down into some pretty basic steps. So the first one that I would like to say when it comes to evaluating something, what is it ethical or not? How do I know if that's ethical or not? The very first thing is to look at the action. Mm-hmm. The action cannot be evil. Can't be intrinsically evil. It cannot. It, it can be neutral. It can be good. But we can never do evil even if it brings a good result. That's right. We can never do evil. And can I say something? Absolutely. And that, who are you? Because people keep calling up. Who is that woman here? Uh, this is Janet. Janet Wigner. Can you believe they keep calling up? I, I thought <laughs> Janet knew everybody. Yeah. Well, she's no. got this new fan club. It's, it's very humbling. I don't even know what to say. 
Well, tell us about your, your <laughs> not about your I'm fan just, club. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, I'm not speechless, but if we get back to the point. Yes, the point. Okay, thank you. Um, the action must be good. So, and it can't be evil even if, if, if the evil brings about a good. So, here's something that just really, really gets me in my gut. The USCCB knows that the vaccines have been tainted because they've been made with aborted baby parts. Correct. Some of the verbiage that we got is, well, that was from one a baby, one aborted baby back in 1970. And while that was unfortunate, you know, we, we need to move forward because now you should take the vaccine because that's charitable so that you don't make other people sick. I'm sorry, that defies this number one principle. Point number one, you can never never do something evil even if it's to bring about a good so let's say a guy so where did all of that come from where did that that concept you're speaking about the i'll paraphrase the end justifies the means well it's in the catechism of the catholic church and but it wasn't there a uh 18th 17th century where when was machiavelli alive Oh, yeah, and I think even maybe Plato talked about I mean, I think this is a basic but one. the modernist philosopher uh Machiavelli, the end justifies the means yes that is that is a common misconception. The end does not justify the means. If a father needs to provide for his family, that's a good end, right, providing for your family. He cannot rob a bank right. To provide for his family, right? So even if the end result is good, providing for my family, you cannot do something evil to get there. You can do something neutral. It doesn't have to be a good act, but it cannot be an evil act. And and we could probably do a whole show just on that one step. So we got to peel this back here because we've got a couple. Uh, Janet brings up the Bishop's Conference when we say USCCB, the Bishop's Conference. So they've got they've got two issues here. One that says... Uh, it was a long time ago, speaking of the fetal, the, the aborted fetal cells or stem cells that were used in the making of the vaccine. That's one issue. But the other issue is uh, some kind of moral, social uh, responsibility of um, 2021 taking, taking this vaccine. Aside from, aren't those two distinct circumstances and the question here is is uh, any of this doctrine and dogma or is this just a promulgation of opinion in um... to me it's just common sense i mean i'm going to step back here and just say you know i'm just a lay person i'm just a single person doing the best job that they can you guys are way smarter than me but in my heart i'm looking at this as being babies died so that vaccines can be developed so that we can live Okay, there's just something wrong yeah, about that. I think and I don't understand your, why people that's your don't whole think, point. Yeah. That's your whole point, Janet. Is, mm-hmm. is it just somebody's uh, opinion here, priest, doctrine, theologian, whoever is the spokesman for that? Is that just an opinion, or is that based in theology, doctrine, magisterial teaching? Based in Jesuit thinking about remote cooperation. Here's the And, and they do say it's remote. It's, you're not directly... Um, advocating the killing of that child to get that vaccine it's so remote that you have no culpability in that it's perfectly fine to take the problem is you guys why don't catholics say we're not putting another stinking shot in our arm that you develop from aborted babies you give us something ethical and we'll think about it and but why in does the, but in the meantime we say 
oh, gee, we don't like that you did that. But, gee, it happened a long time ago, and I'm going to write a strongly worded letter and say, please don't do that anymore, but give me the shot. I mean, if Catholics would stand up and say, we're not taking it. Give us an alternative. Every time we take a shot that's been developed through aborted babies, we're telling the pharmaceutical companies and the scientists, go ahead, keep experimenting, because so we're going to take you're, it. You're, you're saying that there's options other than killing children, aborting them, and doing it, that there's able to, ways to do this in absolutely in other there's, ways. Yes, there's absolute ways. I mean, that's we've got science. I mean, there's there's things like ivermectin, hydro. Um, so now you're talking you're talking prophylactics. Now. But there you're are talking, vaccines that have there's been developed. Other options, right? But there are vaccines that have been developed, and I'm gonna get it wrong. It's either mumps or measles or something. Rubella. One of those. But Japan developed a vaccine based on chicken yolk chicken eggs Mm -hmm. okay why can't we do that why does ours have to involve an aborted baby it seems almost satanic doesn't it well it is satanic there's money in it there's no money in chicken eggs you guys there's money in abortion a a lot of money in abortion but it makes me so mad because if the catholics would just if the catholics would say no the whole thing would change and the and the part about that that makes me ornery is that's where I hang the blame and the fault on the bishops. This is good news. We've identified your arneriness. It's, yeah. It's started. Just it's one bullet point. I'm okay. sure there's many. <laughs> but I look at this and I'm like, seriously. I look, and, and not all bishops, um, but I would say the majority. I mean, and here's the telltale. When they had the bishops' meeting, was it two, two years ago? And they had to determine, they had to actually figure out, it was Bishop Strickland out of Texas that finally said, abortion is preeminent Mm -hmm. and his brother bishops actually said debated him i mean what is wrong with that picture i mean and the thing that people don't realize and we just celebrated the feast of john vianney this past week Mm -hmm. so whenever this airs it was the feast day of john vianney was just here recently and one of the things that this wonderful saint said is whether they are good or bad and this is he's talking about a priest um they will take a thousand souls with them wherever they go. So if a bad priest is going to hell, he's taking a thousand souls with him. If a good priest is going to heaven, he'll take a thousand souls with him. So the reason that is so important is we as Catholics have got to know our faith. We have got to figure out who our leadership is, where are they leading us, and how do we call them out? And we need to go after them. Or how do we encourage them? Right. How do we say to our pastor, would you please preach about abortion? And, and we just heard this yesterday from someone. They asked their um, their pastor, how come we never hear a, a homily about abortion? And here was the answer. Well, because there's probably women in the pews that have had abortions, and this could be a trigger for them. What? You know what you say in a homily on abortion? You say, that was the taking of a life, and we know you're hurting. But you, God can forgive anything. That's right. Well, right? There's at least two points to make on that statement, Colleen. And I think the first statement is, one... If a priest preaches about any sin, which is rare, but any sin, you're going to talk about somebody who's in the congregation. I mean, one through ten, from have no strange gods before me to uh, don't covet this and don't covet that, somebody in the congregation is going to... So why the abortion is, is the only lightning rod on that topic? Well, because Catholics abort at the same rate as... As non-believers, which which is one in three. One in three. So let's say you've got a hundred women. Let's say you've got two hundred people in the church and half are women. I mean, 
That's a lot of women. So, so yeah, 100 people in there, half of them, that's 50 women uh, times uh, three fifty. 15 of them have had an abortion. Right, so it's not like it's one person. There's a lot of women sitting in the pews. And I used to counsel women who've had abortions to try to lead them to healing. They all knew it was a life they took. They all knew it in their heart. So you're not going to give news to anybody that's had an abortion that they took a life. That's over and done with. The important thing now is to repent, to come to God. He can heal anything. And that's the homily that should happen is come to God. This is wrong. If you've done this, I'm not standing here today as your priest to condemn you, but I want to open up the sacrament of confession to you, and I want to invite you to come and bear your soul so that you can be have a chance at salvation. Because that's the other thing they don't talk about. Because right now, um, everybody thinks they're going to heaven. We covered that in a previous episode, too. But this is a mortal sin. These are one of the sins that cry out to heaven. Um, murder. It's murder. And, you know, it just it breaks my heart because how many people will die with these types of mortal sins, and they have no chance at heaven. And they don't have to die that way. And they don't have to die that way. That's the good news. That is the good news. Christ died for us, and there's nothing too big for him to forgive. But how are they going to know that if they don't hear that? Right. Well, the church has lost her mission. I mean, job one is evangelization. Job two is to save those that you have evangelized. You're to evangelize the sinner. We're all, we're all there. Admonish the sinner. We're you know, all sinners. And we're all sinners. And um, by the way, you know, there's degrees of sin. Yeah, there's mortal sin, there's venial sin, there's there's all of that here. But every sin separates you from God. Right. So it's reminiscent. Let's go back to Genesis out there here. You know, so Adam and Eve out there, the snake goes after Eve and Eve goes after Adam and they they eat the uh, the fruit and and all of that. And and, um, God comes through through the garden what does he say he calls out to adam 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 where are you what does adam say does does he answer god's question no he when did. he said when he says adam where are you what does adam say i, I knew we were naked and so i hid did. myself yeah. folks it is human nature from our first parents adam and eve to hide from god when we are in a state of sin. It's like the little guy that goes into the corner to empty his pants or fill his pants. Mm-hmm. We, we hide from God. Yep. The little guy, you mean like two years old? Yeah, the little two-year-old. I got, <laughs> I got uh, one that just figured that out here. But isn't that the truth? We, we hide when we are sinning deep. You, you just said it about the women you've counseled. They understood this was the taking of the life. In our heart, without having anyone tell us, we understand that is a sin along with all of the other things that are a sin. Only in the Catholic Church, speaking to God himself in persona Christi through a priest in the sacrament of confession, can you have that sin washed away and be absolved of, of any temporal punishment and any eternal punishment. Absolutely. We must acknowledge our sins. We must. There's no, if, if we cannot acknowledge our sins, then why do I need a Savior? Exactly. And so coming back around to full circle from the beginning about how this ties in with the ethics, you know, this, this action, we, we need to hear these good homilies. And, and there are good priests out there that do it, but the majority, we just don't know. And the readings in Scripture every week tee it up for the priest to have these difficult conversations because it's right there. Mm-hmm. Scripture is 
is the foundation. It provides it right to us. Mm-hmm. But well, we we need the teaching, which is the catechism. We need the expertise of the priest to teach and to admonish and to invite us into reconciliation because that's the way of Christ. Absolutely. It's not to bring this up so that they can hit us over the head with it. No. I don't know any priest that would do that, right? It's to bring it up so that we can open that wound and have it healed. Right, right. And only Christ can do that. Only Christ can do the, that. Uh, the second reason for not speaking about it is even uh, worse than the first. You, you said the first reason most priests don't speak about it is someone in the uh, congregation might have committed that sin and this sin here. And that's true. The second reason that I hear frequently from priests is that they have been instructed not to preach on sin. And that, Why? And that would be by the bishop, the why? bishop of that that's priest. That's the only person that has the... Uh, the authority. Why? And why? why? Yeah. Why? Yeah, why? Got me. But we're witnessing the managed decline of the Catholic faith. Here we are, three out of four, not going to church on Sundays, and those that do go, 71. I'm, I'm hearing reports as high as 80% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the, in, in the blessed sacrament, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And it's just, it's, um, it's sad. But by the same token, you know, for those of us who continue to go to Mass and study Scripture and learn about the truth and talk, just like we're talking, um, talk amongst your friends, talk in your families, you know, the, the hard part is, is that eventually if you keep staying the course, staying faithful to going to Mass, staying faithful to Scripture reading, staying faithful to studies and your devotions, that is going to mean something. And in your prayers, any any kind of suffering that you experience from whether it's a friend or a family member who's not going to church or, or takes issue with you or persecutes you, offer that up because that is redemptive suffering. Embrace that cross. Embrace that suffering because that will bear fruit. We don't know exactly what that'll be, um, but our Blessed Mother has said, our Sorrowful Mother has said that. You just touched on something, Janet, that I think is uh, a powder keg here. I mean, you said you, you, you've got to talk about that. You've got to talk about your faith. You've got to educate yourself. I'm paraphrasing what's going on here. And yet, in polite company, the two things you don't talk about are religion and politics. And how else? The only I two mean, things we're talking about. Yeah. I know. Was that Chesterton? or? Uh, oh, I don't know. That sounds like what Chesterton, else is there but I can't remember about? if it's him or not. It's but, funny, though, because those are the two things that I usually talk about when I get together with people. <laughs> That's what we love to talk about. But you said something, too, that I would like you to expand upon a little bit. You had said such that a Catholic phrase, offer it up. Now, when I was little, here's a shout out to you, Mom, if you're listening. When I was little, I was told a lot to offer it up. I had no idea what that meant. As a kid, I had no idea what that meant. So for all our listeners, when you said you can offer it up, what does that mean? It's an offering to Christ. And a lot of times it's an offering to Christ through his Blessed Mother because it's it's a indirect way of accepting that cross and accepting that suffering and uniting it with Jesus on the cross. That's why the, because it gives peace to him. You know, and these are things that I've learned over the years. But um when you offer something up, there's a lot of things that happen. Number one, your relationship with Jesus goes a little bit more intimate than just topographical. The other thing is is that you are praying. You are praying to God, you are praying to Jesus. And it's going to soothe his wounds on the cross. That's don't don't we need to introduce the concept of reparation here, though? What what? Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about offering it up here, calling. Good what, point. What do you mean by expand reparation? on that? Well, every sin separates us individually, the sinner, 
from from Christ, from from the Trinity, because you, you need to be in a state of grace to be one with God and in His His doing it. Mortal sin severs that relationship. You're no longer under the uh, power of God or the protection of God. But even venial sins of uh, uh, oh impatience or or um, doing something not in charity, doing something because I have to. There, there's a lot of imperfections that can go on out there that that Im- that that is not according to the will of God. So reparation implies repairing that relationship between me and God, or I'm doing something in reparation for the sins of the whole world. That's the chaplet, isn't it, of divine mercy? Uh, right. Uh, help me. Yeah, the divine mercy yeah. chaplet from us and on the whole world. Have mercy on us and on, on the whole world here. So, uh, you know, the, there can be offerings of, uh, you know, uh, make, well, that, w- that was the whole idea of not eating meat on Friday. Catholics for centuries, a millennia, did not eat uh, fasting on, on Wednesdays and Fridays. The, the uh, reparations of fasting during the uh, uh, months of uh, Lent and, and Advent to deny oneself pleasure and offering that up to our blessed Lord and perhaps through the intercession of his blessed mother to to uh, not offering it to the blessed mother but saying you know she's better than FedEx isn't she she takes takes my reparation to, directly to her son mm-hmm. she, I don't have to stand in line then right and the other thing with with reparation is most people, when they go to confession, the priest will give them their penance. He'll, the priest will say, okay, now for your penance, say one Hail, Hail Mary and, and a Glory Be or a Hail Holy Queen or whatever it might be. And people think that that now repairs and is the penance for all their sins. And that's not necessarily the case. Now, I don't know that because I'm not in the confessional with each given person. But if you... But st- you'd like to be. Yeah, that'd, that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but if you stole a car... And you totaled it. Mm-hmm. And you went into the confessional and said, Father, I, forgive me for I've sinned. I stole a car and I drove it and I totaled it. And that is my sin. And he says, you know, are you sorry? Say so you're acting contrition. Of course you're sorry. And he gives you absolution. He realizes that you're sorry. He gives you absolution. And then he says, you know, say a rosary for that one. Um, did you make reparation? Because reparation is tied in with restitution. And we're going to hold you right there because we're coming up on the break. That's Janet Wagner, and we're going to go into your reparations here in the third break here. Colleen Pasnick, Tom Oglesby, and Janet Wagner here on The Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD. You won't want to miss segment three. back in the FM 98.3 KCRD studios. Janet Wagner, Colleen Pasnick, I am Tom Oglesby, and uh, we were cut off by the woman with the big machete over there (laughs) as we ran out of time, and we were right in the middle of uh, reparation because this, and and there's some layers here, some There are some layers. So so where we were at is Tom stole a car, he totaled it, He went to confession, and the priest said, I forgive you for your sins, Tom, I absolve you, and for your penance, go out and say a Hail Holy Queen, or a rosary, I think I said. And so then the question was, is, does that clear Tom 
of any and all sin that he had associated with that car? And the answer to that question is most likely not. And the reason for that is, is he has to atone for that. And that's where reparation comes into play and restitution. He has to pay for that car. Um, he can't just be done and it's, and it's good to go. There's, you have to make up for that. And so when we offer things up for all, there's two ways you can consider this. For all the sins that you've ever committed in your life, that's one reason to continue to offer things up. Because our Blessed Mother, through her intercession, will take it to our Lord and make that as an offering. The other thing that is really, really awesome is not only for yourself, and this is where the Divine Mercy Chapel comes into play, is for the sin, for my sins and those of the whole world. So the other thing is, is if you have uh, sins that are obvious that you know that um, friends or family have committed and they, they are struggling in their faith, or their conversion, um, you can you can make atonement for them as well, because that's the body of Christ. And so that was the last thing that I wanted to say. So what if, how do you make reparation? Let's say Tom did that back when he was uh, 17 years old, and now he's much older than that. How do you make reparation for something that happened so long ago that it's impossible to, you know, restore the car to the owner? You don't even know whose it was, or that person is dead, or... How do you make reparation if it's so long ago and the person that was um, affected was has died? Right, right. Well, there's a number of ways you can still offer it up. You know, there's there's the only person who puts conditions on this is God. But you want to err on the side of offering up as much as you possibly can. But a number of things that can happen: prayer, doing things for the good of your neighbor, um, almsgiving, fasting. Those are those are some ways that you could do that. So can you make an intention in your heart, like, God, well, I am offering this sacrifice yes. for the time that Tom stole that car. Sorry, Tom. We're it was only one car. You've <laughs> mentioned it five times. <laughs> we're throwing you under the bus here. It was a really nice car. <laughs> I, I'm not sure everybody's catching on to what's going on here because we've got some people of uh, other faith denominations, and I'm not sure Catholics understand what's going on here, but we're really separating a couple of, of uh, actions here. By going to confession, you can be forgiven of the transgression. That's correct. So but there needs to be reparation in order to make otherwise known as restitution, yes? So there's a difference between forgiveness and restitution, reparation? Sure, there's a forgiveness because something's been broken. So what, what kind of basis do we have on this? Scripture, tradition. Mean, Let's let, Besides scripture and tradition? Well, yeah. No, I mean, because people have heard the scripture, but i got to believe they're going down JFK and they're saying, come on. Where is that in the Bible? Yeah. Where, well, yeah. not only that, where is that in the Bible, but you might say that if, if you were not Catholic, but if you are Catholic, you're saying, hey, I went to confession. i got nothing to do here. Mm. Well, take Mary Magdalene as an example. You know, she was a prostitute and they were ready to stone her. And, you know, the the image of where Jesus was drawing in the sand. We don't know what he was drawing, but she had such sorrow. And he told her in the end of that, go and sin no more. And and part of that was, is as he talked to the crowd that was ready to stone her, he said, those who have no sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. No one did. Mm-hmm. So it was a realization of that we're all sinners. But in Mary Magdalene's case, she went and sinned no more. And the way she made restitution and reparation is all the things that she did through for Christ since then. Sure, sure. For the rest of her life. And we know that confession is an important part of it. You can't just walk out in the down the Heritage Trail and say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, and have that be it. Right? Why? Why not? 
right? Because uh, as Father Huber said in a talk at Spirit and Truth many years ago, how do you know that he heard you? <laughs> how long do you have to stay out in the woods? Am I good to go? Are we fine? Did you hear me? Right? Mm-hmm. So there's no other person there. And we're, we're flesh and blood. We need other people. So um, the words that Jesus spoke on his resurrection in the upper room, the first words that he spoke to the apostles, they're significant, right? We take down people's last, the last thing they say. There's a whole book on the last words that people, and those are important too. But, but he rose from the dead and the first words out of his mouth were, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, whose ever sins you forgive are forgiven and whose ever sins you hold bound are held bound. So that's how important confession is. It's the first thing he talks about after he rises from the dead. So how could they forgive sins if they didn't hear anybody's sins? It implies that they're hearing people's sins and um, forgiving them or holding them. Now, one thing I do want to say to our listeners is, you know, we're talking in general terms here, just general basic truths of the Catholic faith. One of the things that I want to point out is everybody's situation is unique and different to the confessional and to the priest. So if there's something that we're talking about that is really concerning you or rubbing you the wrong the wrong way, the best thing to do is go to confession with your sin and have that discussion with the priest. Yeah, you've got to do that. But I want to rewind here because I, I don't think we're getting on the point that, that I think I want to make a point here is, is, is how significant reparation is. Uh, Adam could be forgiven along with Noah, all the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all of all of that, but why does Paul say, you know, this is not anything the uh, the uh, Jewish rabbis and priests could, uh, the high priest uh, do with the scapegoat running out into the wilderness with the sins? Is it Hebrews where uh, he says uh, the the perfect sacrifice, the perfect reparation here? Only the first sin of Adam could be atoned for, could be repaired by. God becoming man and God dying as man to atone, to make reparation to his father. The entire act of our salvation, the sacrifice of Christ, exemplifies that all of our sins must be atoned for. Now, did Christ die for all of our sins and make atonement for them? Yes, he did. But we're called to be in communion with with Christ. That doesn't mean we can go on sinning as we should and would uh, without interruption, without any any concern that says, um, you know, because yes, we can confess our sins, but there needs to be that parallel participation. We need to pay that price, which is the entire doctrine of Catholic purgatory, which is unique to any uh, among any of the Christian, uh, they're not faiths, it's ecclesial unions, however we want to refer that to. That, that only proves that, that concept of, of purgatory, to that purgation period to make atonement in reparation for it. And folks, it's a lot better to do it on this side of the veil to make reparation and atonement here on earth because... Purgatory is just East Hell. You you get to get an exit out of there. It's it's uh, it's not much fun other than you have knowledge of the 
ultimate beatific vision. But here, if we do suffering and we offer it up, we unite it with the suffering of Christ on the cross. We also have little consolations here. We're with our friends. We might, um, you know, something every day gives us a little consolation. You might have to look for it, but it is way better to do your purgatory time here, your suffering here, to get as clean as possible. Um, it's like when you're you're young and you come inside from playing before bed, and your mom might say, "Wash your face." And you say, no, I don't want to wash my face. Well, if you don't wash it, she's going to get a washcloth out and she is going to rub your face and it's going to hurt, right? Way better to do it here ourselves than go through purgatory where there will be suffering. Purgatory is a place of suffering. Mm-hmm. Did you thank Mother for telling you to offer it up? I don't think I did. Not recently. You know what I think? You know what I think? I think her mother told her to offer it up and she didn't know. And I think her mother told her to offer it up and she didn't know. I think it's one of those things that gets passed on and... Everyone knows it's a Catholic thing, but they don't really know what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing is, is what's nice is that we're able to talk about it and, and give some background on, on some of these things. And, and you know, even, even when you know something, sometimes you forget. As you get older, it's like, well, what was that again? Or what, what's the basis of that? And it's just one way to continue to remind ourselves and to grow in our faith and to better every opportunity we can to go to heaven when we die. Most likely we're not. Because saints are rare. Saints are made most likely after you get um, your birth, <laughs> after your birth into eternal life. Well, if you aren't a saint here, you aren't going to be a saint there. So you can't do that. We've got to talk more, though, uh, about mothers instructing children to offer it up. And, and uh, so, too, what's being taught by our, our uh, clergy and our, our bishops. You've got some headlines about what is and what isn't uh, going on uh, I mean help us out here this is this is an area that is not being uh, Catholics just aren't being instructed in these fundamental ways of Catholic culture in in the ways that parents grandparents great-grandparents used to uh, teach us what what do you make of that what's what's the uh... it's our demise yeah but like just even some of the things we were talking about when we opened up this ep- this episode with um, all the headlines, and then we had the second episode where we talked, or the second uh, section here, where we talked about ethics, and now we're kind of drilling down on that. You know, all of these headlines are happening because there's a lack of ethics, there's a lack of morality, mm-hmm. and you had some other headlines mm-hmm. that kind of struck upon that, Colleen. Yeah, I had some other headlines, and they all kind of go into the ethics, um, you know, um, field. Um, one of them was uh, Dolan, Cardinal Dolan, out in um, New York. New York, Arch- Cardinal Archbishop in New York, <clears throat> has told his flock that they uh, need to get the vaccine and that there is no basis for a priest to give their people a religious exemption to the vaccine. Yeah, that's that's purely unethical for the for the first reasons we talked about with it's. <laughs> You're justifying an, a, a, an evil action for an outcome of good. It's, it's just an oxymoron. Right. And, you know, one of the higher laws in the church is the right of a person's well-formed conscience, right, to make a decision. So if you have a well-formed conscience um, that is formed by the teachings of the church, the tradition of the church, and you come to a decision that maybe your decision is, according to my conscience, I can't take the shot. You should have a religious exemption for that. Yes, you should. It's your conscience that has been formed that is leading you to this conclusion. 
So for for Dolan to say, you know, there's there's no basis for a priest to issue one, and he says because he's acting in contradiction to the directives of the Pope, because the Pope has said you all need to get the shot. Well, this was going Ooh. back to my question earlier. Here, is is this a theological statement? Is this a doctrinal statement? What what is the basis for this? I mean, we we've heard bishops, including the Bishop of Rome, making that statement. But on what basis is what it really what, comes down to? What basis in in canon law, in doctrine, in in teaching, is, is this? Right. So medicine is not their wheelhouse, right? No. Medicine is not their wheelhouse. They can talk about the morality of a medicine, the morality of vaccines that have been tainted with the blood of our babies. They can talk about that, but. Um, but I think even before that, you know, one of the premises is you must take this to protect other people from this deadly virus. But it's not a deadly virus. No, it's people not a deadly virus. People have died from it. Please don't misunderstand. People have died from it. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the survival rate is anywhere between 97 and 99%. So so the, they violate that very first step in ethics about you can never do evil even to bring good from it there's there's no pandemic out there that is killing everybody it's not like you get a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer you get your house in order you got months right it is not like that with this illness well and one of the things that frustrates me too with some of the bishops and priests that have made um, public statements about this is well we know not a lot of people have died but it's highly contagious well so what you're still gonna live you know, the flu is highly contagious. And excuse me, COVID-19 is the 19th virus of the flu. You know, so it, it's just like, why are you um, scaring people? Because that's why people are taking it. And then now they're taking it because it's the way of the world. You know, that's we have to get with the times. But we have to, you know, I keep asking, why are they so insistent on everyone getting this? Right. It, it really boggles my mind because, first of all, it's not a deadly disease, right? right. 97 and 99% well, chance. Quite, quite frankly, I'm not used to having such love and affection. <laughs> Have you ever seen so many people concerned for your welfare? Local county officials, state officials, bishops, cardinals, and popes. You got to take it for you your own good. It. Let's put you in a million dollar lottery. You got to take They never did this for the flu vaccine ever. Did we do this? So I have to think what what reason do they have to force people basically right to force them to get this shot? I don't know if it's a power thing because I don't know what that gets them power-wise. But you know, if people have not gotten it by now, they don't want it. Right. Right? And what whatever happened to my body, my choice? I just, I can't figure it out. Whatever happened to diversity of opinion? What about having an opinion I mean, and having critical thinking? Get the three thinking? of us off the microphones here. We can't decide between chicken, burgers, and pizza. And that's just three of us. You've got 350 million Americans out here, and the only narrative you have is it's word for word. It's verbatim. Right. It's get the shot. and um, But then you find out, okay, fine, I, I take the shot. Well, you mean I can still get it? And you mean I can still pass it on to people? So what's the point of getting the shot? Yeah. You can still Don't forget your mask. Get right. it, and you can still pass it on. And it's such a, a, a disease that's so deadly, you may not even know you have it because you won't have any symptoms. And it's a vaccine that's so effective that we got to put you in a lottery and bribe you to get it. There's something else going on here, and I don't know what it is. 
but it's we have never ever ever done this before forcing people basically to say you show me proof that you had that shot or you can't come in my store it's becoming the mark of the beast so and we came back up on this uh with the uh, uh we baited colleen on this janet and and she bit hard and um but we we were trying to figure out what what the medical ethics of this are and i think you you uh covered it that you're having a hard time medically and theologically and catechetically uh, nailing down what, what's going on with it. The primary of your conscience, if it's been well-formed, that plays a role in things. Um, yeah. Well, and, and you struck a point there. It's a, it's a well-formed conscience. But think about it. For the last 60 years, consciences have not been well-formed. And I think that's why a lot of people are taking the shot. Could be. You know, they don't, and they're pressured. And they're pressured, number one, fear, number two. Yep. You know, and I don't I don't know which one in which order, but anyway. And Christ said, be not afraid. Now, I heard, right. I don't know if this is true, I heard that be not afraid or some variation of that is in the Bible 366 times, one for every day, day of the year and an extra. So um, let's, we can kind of maybe close on that note that uh, be we not should afraid. not be afraid. Well, evidently, we should have put more quarters in the meter because now we're, we've <laughs> got to get on it here. Colleen Pasnack and Janet Wagner are here on the chatter. I'm Tom Oglesby. This is FM 98.3 KCRD. We'll be back again next week. Let's, let's close with, in the name of the Father, and the, the Son, Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the, the Father, Father, and to the, the Son, and to the, the Holy, Holy Spirit, as, as it was in the beginning, beginning is now, and ever shall be. be. World without end. Amen. See you all next week.